afternoon. Welcome to Ring Talk. I'm your host, boxing author and historian Lou Eisen, the man with the big head. You know, you got a big head when you got an urge to measure it. You know, uh, I first sat down said here. I want to thank uh, Eric uh, Boyce, my producer, who makes this possible. Actually, when it's coming on the screen, it says your mic will be muted while we're counting down to your intro. And uh, usually, you don't need that for most people, but for someone like me who asks them every single time. He has to put that on the screen. Uh, so today we have a very auspicious special day, special fight. Today's fight involves one of my all-time favorite fighters, uh, Carmen Basilio. Now, I met Carmen dozens of times through my relationship with my surrogate father, Angelo Dundee. And Carmen was um, a, a great guy. Um, he was a bit... Um, I'm, I, I'm trying to find the right word. I don't want to say crazy, but he was a bit carefree at the end. So when he would see you, you know, he'd shake his hand, how you doing? And he'd give you a playful right hand to the body and it would hurt. And Carmen was a tiny guy. He was only five, six and a half, small hands, but he savaged a person's body. He, Because of his small size, he learned from Angela Dundee to fight from a crouch. Fight from a crouch and go after the body kill the body, the head will die. And that's exactly what happened. On September 23rd, 1957, at Yankee Stadium in front of something like 60,000 plus people, he challenged the greatest fighter, the man considered to be the greatest fighter pound for pound of all time, Sugar Ray Robinson for the middleweight title. Now, when they say pound for pound, what pound for pound really means is, and it was, the phrase was developed for Ray Robinson, if all weights were equal in boxing, everything was relevant. Ray Robinson's the best fighter ever and the best fighter on the planet, best fighter ever. And this was a tremendous 15 round war. Um, this was an interesting fight because Robinson had just rewon the world middleweight title for the fourth time from Carl Bobo Olsen. Uh, knocking him out in two rounds. Uh, poor Bobo Olson. He fought Robinson three times and got stopped three times. Uh, Robinson had dropped out of boxing in the early 50s to pursue an unsuccessful career in show business. And one of the reasons he dropped out, he dropped out because he was being pursued by the mob. They weren't going to hurt him, but they kept saying, lose this fight win the next fight with Gavilan, who he beat, or whoever, and then the third fight will be on the level. And he kept saying no to the mob. And the mob said, well, then we'll take away your fights. But he was so powerful, Robinson, that he, you know, he stood alone, that they couldn't hurt him. He was indemnified by his brilliance, ring brilliance, and his popularity. Copy. So Robinson says to them, to hell with you. I'll show you how powerful I am. I'll drop out of the business. And he did. And it hurt gate receipts. It hurt a lot of the money. But when he came back, he came back to boxing. He missed it, but he came back for one of the wrong reasons, which is he found out that, you know, he owned a lot of Harlem. He owned restaurants, Sugar Ray's. He had that gorgeous pink car. He owned the hair salon. He owned an accounting firm, all sorts of businesses. And he left the businesses and all his businesses, Sugar Ray Enterprises, and he allowed his friends and family members to run them. And then his accountant informed them that he was broke. They'd ripped him off. And the quickest way for him to make money, of course, was to go back 
and get into the ring. So he gets into the ring. He wins the title back. Uh, Robinson um, originally uh, was born uh, May 3rd, 1921 in uh, Georgia. And his real name was Walker Smith Jr. He got the name Sugar Ray Robinson when he entered an amateur contest. And Ray Robinson, this other fighter, uh, didn't show up. And he didn't have a license. So they just said, you take his license. And that's how it happened. When he was a an amateur, he was fighting uh, late in his amateur career. And a reporter was covering the New York Golden Gloves and said to his manager george gainford you got a sweet fighter there and gainford said sweet like sugar and the name stuck that's another thing by the way people would say you know his trainer george gainford george gainford never trained sugar ray robinson not for a single day he's essentially his manager the genius behind sugar ray robinson was the immortal harry wiley jr who was not in the international boxing hall of fame at canastota but certainly deserves to be uh it was wiley who turned Sugar Ray Robinson into the greatest fighter of all time. You know, when you watch his fight with um, Gene Fulmer, Fulmer beats him for the world middleweight title. In the rematch, he knocked Fulmer out in the fifth round, and it was called the perfect punch. It was the greatest left hand ever thrown. And what happens is Fulmer comes in head first. Robinson moves back, takes a couple steps back to get some room to punch, throws a short left hook, four to six inches, hits Fulmer square in the chin, he's down, he's out, fight's over. It was Harry Wiley who set that up. It was Wiley who said, Fulmer keeps rushing in head first, and he grabs you and he bully, bullies you up against the rope. So you got to clinch him in the far ropes, push him off, move back, stand your ground, wait for him to come in, and when he reaches, when his head's out over his front foot, get him with an uppercut or a left hook, and he did, and it worked. So he was in Georgia, his family moved to Black Bottom in Detroit, and eventually moved to New York, where he could pursue his boxing career. He was a young phenom, he would dance on the streets for money, but when he first worked in, walked into a boxing gym in New York, uh, in the basement of a church, he felt completely at home. He loved the sounds of it, the sights of it, the smell of it, it was, it was for him. If anyone could be called a prodigy, it would have to be him because he went something like 85 and 0 or 90 and 0 in his amateur career. So there was rumors that certain guys had beaten him, but I, you know, we don't know for sure. Uh, Basilio started out, he was born in Canastota, New York, which is why the Boxing Hall of Fame is in Canastota. Uh, by the way, not many people know that um, Basilio's. Uh, nephew, Billy Backus, won the World Welterweight title with Basilio in his quarter. This is in the 60s. He beat the great Hall of Famer Jose Napolis because Napolis had a cut on his eye or his eye and he couldn't stop it. And I mentioned that to Angelo Dundee, his trainer, and Angelo said, I wasn't there that day. I said, where were you? I was with the big guy. That's what he called Muhammad Ali. Never called him Muhammad. He called him the big guy. And then when they had the rematch, the same cut opened. And of course, Angelo fixed it with no problem. And Basilio had no problem beating Bacchus and winning back, or excuse me, uh, Jose Napolis had no problem beating Billy Bacchus and winning back his title. Anyways, Lou, let's get to this fight. This was a tremendous fight. Ray Robinson enters this fight with a huge 72 and a half inch reach. 
Uh, he was five foot eleven. Basilio was only five six and a half. He was a tiny guy with short arms, and people thought, "How how's this?" It was the fourth defense of Robinson's first defense. It was fourth reign as middleweight champ. But the big question here is, how do you beat a guy like Robinson? Robinson's here. Basilio's here. Basilio's tiny. You know, he was the reigning welterweight champ. He'd won the title from Tony DeMarco. And then he beat him in a rematch, lost it. The mob stole it from him um, in uh, Chicago through Johnny Saxton. And then he savaged Saxton two more times, knocked him out nine and then in two. And Basilio was one of two fighters who not only testified against the mob in front of the Senate in 1960, he hated the mob and he stood up to them. He didn't know for years, though, that his managers uh, one Joe Nitro, uh, his managers had, had actually paid them off a portion of their money uh, to get these fights for Basilio. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten the fights. But he hated the mob, and he had no problem standing up to them. So Basilio's the welterweight champ, but he's bored. You know, he's won these titles. He wants more money. He wants more glory. Uh, Robinson's re-won the middleweight title, but he needs a big, you know, he needs a big... Uh, um, fight to refill its coffers and get the imagination of the public to capture it. And so the fight was at uh, Yankee Stadium. Um, thank you, Scrapbook Boxing. I'm, I'm glad you like it. Wonderful picture of uh, Henry Armstrong there. The fight was at a Yankee Stadium. This was Carmen Basilio's goal. This was his ambition since he was a child. He wanted to be a world champion and win a fight at Yankee Stadium, and he did. And his good friends on the New York Yankees, Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, the chairman of the board, all these other players were there in the dugout watching him fight. No one gave him much of a chance. There was about, actually to be more accurate, 38,000 fans were there. The fight was shown in 170 movie theaters in 39 states, and Canada showed the fight in closed-circuit television. Robinson being Robinson got 500 grand. Basile got 212 grand. And um, Robinson fought for free because he owed back taxes. So he had to pay 514000 So he had to pay his entire purse, right, plus another $28,000. And this fight was incredible because w when people talk about the fight today, they think, well, you know, uh, Basilio beat him up 15 rounds in a row. Robinson had nothing. That's not true. Robinson fought a great fight. Robinson was controlling the fight throughout, you know, six, seven, eight rounds, his jab, Robinson was moving. And, but when you watch the fight, Basilio was great at getting under Robinson's jab. He was great at slipping it and sliding it. He would move back out of the reach of Robinson. He, he measured distance perfectly. Basilio was a tough son of a bitch and he feared no one. And he didn't believe in his heart that Robinson had the power to hurt him. In fact, you know, he, he, they did not like each other. Basilio, Robinson did not respect Basilio, and Basilio absolutely despised Robinson. And here's why. This is a story Angelo Dundee told me. And you're right, Scrapbook Boxing, this was Angelo Dundee's first world champion. Angelo said they met for the contract signing in Syracuse, New York. He lived in Canastoto, which is like a 90-minute drive away. So 
They go for the signing. Basilio parks his car. He sees Ray Robinson's pink Cadillac parking, and he's so excited that um, what happens is he's so excited that he takes his wife and he walks over. He walks over to Ray Robinson and he says, hey, uh, Ray, I'm Carmen Basilio. This is my wife. And Robinson, this is what I was told he said, said, I'm not interested in you or any Dago whore you're with. Now, there's debate as to whether he said the word whore, but he did say Dago, so he said whore or bitch or woman or whatever. And Basilio stood there, and apparently steam came out of his ears. He had to be held back five foot six, 154 pounds. He had to be held back by three big guys. He wanted to kill Robinson for Robinson's comments. And they go in to sign the contracts, and you can see them there, and Basilio's just staring straight ahead. And Robinson has the belt, and they're asking Basilio, so how do you feel? And are you in shape? And uh, how do you think? Uh, do you love the way the belt looks? Can you imagine that belt around your waist? And Basile said, I don't really care about the belt. Belt means nothing to me. I want to take these two hands of mine and I'm going to beat the very life out of this man. That's what he wanted for Robinson had said. And as Angelo always preached, when you're fighting a guy who wants to beat you, why give him extra motivation? Never make it personal. And that's what Robinson did. So Basilio trained all day, every day. He, he couldn't wait to get into the ring. And there's a great um, uh, interview with Howard Cosell before he gets in the ring. And he says to Howard Cosell says, well, yeah, no, Carmen, nine out of 10 sports writers pick Ray Robinson to win. What do you have to say? And he just said, well, Howard, nine out of 10 of them are wrong. And so the fight starts out and, you know, Rob, it's Basilio's home territory as well. It's in New York. It's home state. He was born in Canastota. His parents were onion farmers. That's the name of his autobiography to Canastota, Onion Farmer. And Basilio had uh, tremendous reserves of courage. He, a lot of people looked at him as um, uh, a brawler face first probably but he wasn't he took a lot of shots but he knew what he was doing in the ring he was well trained he was in great shape and because robinson was older than him and uh robinson was born in 1921 may 3rd he died april 12 1989 basilia was born in 1927 and died in 212 so you know he was six years older than him so if you're looking to 1957 it's a 36 year old against a, 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 um, a 30-year-old. And, right, <laughs> scrapbook, thank you. Yes, nine of them were wrong. And Basilio knew that he was fighting an older man who'd been in a lot of wars. So what he wanted to do, and what he did effectively was he pressured Robinson. He didn't let Robinson breathe. So he was always on top of Robinson. Robinson loved to clinch him when he got close and Basilio did the old trick that Angelo had learned from Charlie Goldman and from Ray Ursel. When he's when he's when the taller guy's hugging you like this, you just put your head under his 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 chin and you just move your head up. You don't butt him, but you move your head up, push his head up. So when you can get an arm free, you can whack his chin. And that's what Basilio was doing. But all that time when they're fighting, Basilio ignored Robinson's head 
and went for the body. He savaged his body. People, you know, in the bleachers in Yankee Stadium from yards away, you know, 100 yards or more away, could hear these booming shots to the liver and right hands to the spleen. And he was hitting him in the kidneys. He was just pounding him incessantly to the body. And that's how you beat a guy like Robinson. Robinson had superior mobility, superior height, size, strength, reach. And Robinson was as quick with his feet as he was with his hands, but less so as he got older and even more or less so as the fight went on. And so Basilio just, he kept savaging him to the body. And savage is the right word, pounding shot after shot. And then when he would press Robinson against the ropes, he would throw two or three shots to the body and then he'd double up again. But the second shot, he'd throw another left hook to the liver. Looked like he was going to throw another one to the liver and then he'd bring it up, hit him in the chin. Same with his right hand. Hit him, kept hitting him in the side, hitting him in the spleen. And then he'd think another body shot was coming. So Robinson would lower his hands and then bang, catch him right in the chin or right in the side of the head. And the thing was, Basilio was in such great strength. Robinson would hold him, lean on him, push him, made no difference. Basilio wasn't there to defeat him, to win his title. He was there to kill the man. He wanted to put the man in the ground. And uh, I mean, I shouldn't be laughing at that, but Basilio was beyond determined that night. No one, including Patton's army, could have stopped him that night. He just kept coming forward, throwing shot after shot after shot. Now, you know, up until this time, you got to look at a guy like Sugar Ray Robinson. You know, he had a professional record coming into the fight of 128 wins, one loss, two draws, with 84 knockouts. And from 43 to 52, he had a 91 fight on beaten streak. So, you know, you're not fighting a bum there. You're fighting the greatest fighter that ever lived. But it, he's not thinking that when he's in the ring. All he's thinking is, I got to win this. I got to beat the man. The man's got to pay for how he treated me. Uh, in his career, Robinson had 199 fights. That's incredible. 174 wins, 109 knockouts. Lost 19, drew six. Basilio had 79 fights, 56 wins, 27 knockouts, lost 16, and drew seven. And the fight was a savage affair. Robinson's moving. He's winning some of these rounds. He's starting to swell Basilio and cut him. But it didn't make a difference. Basilio just kept his hands high, kept on coming, and he stayed on him like a fly that just won't leave your head alone. He just kept imposing his will on the bigger man. When the skill is equal, and I don't think the skill was equal, but on that night, perhaps it was because of Basilio's unquenchable determination and thirst for victory, it's whoever can impose their will. And that's what Basilio was doing. He was imposing his iron will on this man who he was thought to have had virtually no chance of beating. Now, what's interesting, Basilio's 5'6 and a half, Robinson's 5'11. Um, it was a split decision win. And Robinson, Jeff, uh, referee Al Burrow scored at 9'6 for Robinson. Judge Bill Reck had an 8'6 one, even for Basilio. And Judge, uh, Addy had it 9-5 with one even for Basilio. So the fight itself was a very close affair, and Basilio pulled it out. A lot of people thought it should have been perhaps um, a unanimous decision. Both of them had, um, you know, they had checkered careers coming into them because of the involvement of the mob. 
I, I don't want to say checkered, but he was pressured throughout his career, Carmen Basilio, uh, to become a, a mob fighter, and he wouldn't do it, and he resisted it all the time. Um, so you have to understand, too, Robinson wasn't just a world middleweight champ. These were two former welterweight champs going at it. Robinson won the welterweight championship from Tommy Bell in 1946 and held it to 1951. And then later, you know, December or February 14th, the uh, St. Valentine's Day massacre in 1951, where he destroyed uh, the great Jake LaMotta and uh, 13 rounds and stopped him to become the world welterweight champion. Uh, when he retired just shortly after and then came back in 55 to beat Olsen, uh, as I mentioned. And, um, you know, they had interesting lives. They didn't like each other. And Basilio had legitimate complaints. Robinson, uh, and you can understand it today, Robinson was the kind of guy that, like, like Floyd Mayweather, I'm the attraction, I'm the draw. I'm the number one fighter on earth. I get the most money. You got to give in to me because they're paying to see me. They may pay to see me get beat, but they're still paying to see me, and that counts. What Basilio didn't like was you would have a contract where Robinson gets, let's say, 500 grand for the fight. Basilio gets 200 grand. And then right before they go in the ring, like 20 minutes, Robinson you know, takes his gloves and wraps off, gets into his civilian clothes and says, nope. No, I want another hundred grand. Basilio's got to give up a hundred grand or I don't fight. And this is what drove Basilio and Fulmer and all these other fighters nuts. They were so angry, so incredibly angry at Robinson. You signed a contract. And and Basilio said, give him the money, but not coming out of my end. I have a signed legal contract. I'm not giving you another hundred grand. I'm keeping my money. You can't pull that garbage. And, you know, this was at a time when it's an interesting time because he had to fight for the mob at that point, Ray Robinson. He was broke. And Basilio's managers gave money out of their end to the mob to get him the fight. But Basilio wasn't giving into that. He just said, no, you're not taking my money. It's not going to go down that way, right? I don't care who gives you the money, if it's the TV sponsor, it's the promoter, whoever. But it's not coming out of my pocket. And it didn't. And the scrapbook says, boxing was such a, or Basilio was such a tough man. He was only killed twice. But yeah, yes, both by Gene Fulmer. Here's the interesting thing. Robinson could have knocked Basilio out. He knocked Fulmer out, and Fulmer was a much bigger man than Basilio. Fulmer was a middleweight who punched like a light heavyweight. And he had two great wars, yeah, with Tony DeMarco. Um, and he knocked him out twice each time, I believe, in the 13th round. And the only difference between the first and second fight, I think, was two seconds, as uh, Scrapbook mentioned. So... Basilio was one for the ages, and I think in 55, 56, he won the Hickok Award as the uh, American Male Athlete of the Year. His first fight with Robinson was the fight of the year, and of course, six months later, they had a rematch. Here's what's interesting um, about the rematch is everyone's seen, it's probably more familiar with this fight than the first one, because they're familiar with uh, Basilio's left eye, which was out like a grapefruit, he couldn't see and so in between the rounds, he said to Angelo, cut the eye open, let the blood out, let the swelling go down. And Angelo said, I can't. And he couldn't because Basilio had only told them that day that he'd had surgery to remove scar tissue from the eyes, eyelids and under the eyelids. And so as Angelo said, there's no scar tissue. If I cut in, I cut your eye. 
and it's nothing I can do about it. Still, that fight was close. It was still a split decision for Robinson, although I thought Basilio had won it. But when they mentioned the third fight, Angelo had said, no way, you start bleeding at the national anthem, Carmen, so there's no way I can allow you to take him on for the third time. But it was it was an incredible match. The audience was full of sports celebrities. Um, you know, it ended up being Ring Magazine's Fight of the Year. Both their fights ended up being Ring Magazine's Fight of the Year. And, you know, after the fight, um, I made some notes, but after the fight, uh, uh, Basilio only had six, seven more fights. And he was, I think, four and three in those fights. And... It, I mean, he, he retired in 1961. Um, he tried to win the world middleweight title back three times. As, as we mentioned, he lost, as I mentioned, he lost to Gene Fulmer twice, and he lost to Paul Pender. Uh, he lost a 10-round decision to defending world champion Paul Pender. Pender was a guy who went out of his way to verbally abuse Basilio and call him a bum and a journeyman and townless fighter, and it wasn't necessary for him to do that. Because in between those fights, you know, he also uh, beat Art Aragon and knocked out the former world welterweight champion, Don Jordan. But um, his last fight was with uh, Paul Pender. When Basilio retired, he worked at the Genesee Brewery, and he was, uh, you know, he taught physical education at a college. He was a high school dropout. He was a member of the United States Marine Corps at one point in his life. And uh, he enjoyed his retirement. And... Um, um, he, uh, he did a lot of things, but as I said, in the 70s, uh, he started training his um, nephew, Billy Backus, who went on to win the World Welterweight title. And Ed Brophy, who runs the International Boxing Hall of Fame and does a magnificent job, uh, he opened the Hall of Fame there, and he did it as a tribute to Basilio and his nephew, uh, Billy Backus. In the 1990s, Basilio became seriously ill, and he had a triple high bypass heart surgery, and he survived it. And um, he uh, he did a documentary, Basilio. He was featured in a documentary on HBO called The Bright Lights and Dark Shadows of a Champion about uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. And this is a very interesting thing because he said that uh, I respected Robinson's abilities as a fighter. I never liked him personally. He wasn't above board or honest in his financial dealings. Uh, he beat his children, his son. He was unfaithful to his wife. He beat his wife, and I just can't respect that in a man. And he said also he was just very rude to me, and he was unprofessional in my dealings with him, and there's no reason to make it that way. He said, you know, most of the guys I fought, like Tony DeMarco, who I beat, I'm very close with Tony. It wasn't personal. It's just a job. And Robinson, you know, went beyond the pale in that regard. Um, Rob uh, Basilio died at age 85 and 212, and it was survived by his wife, Josephine. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him many times. I have to tell you a story. Basilio was, uh, I was with Angelo Dundee and Basilio, and we were in the, having lunch after the parade on the Sunday at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And uh, the great Emil Griffith was sitting there with his son, Rodrigo, and Emil was having dementia at the time. He's having a very tough time. And so when he walked by, Emilio, Emilio put his hand up and said, hi, Carmen. And Carmen said, 
I'm not, I don't want to talk to you or any other, and he used a pejorative term for a homosexual. Emilio got angry and got up and threw a punch, but the punch didn't hit Carmen, it hit Angelo Dundee. And then Basilio threw another punch back and it hit Angelo Dundee, that punch as well. And I was in the middle of it with Angelo and it you know, got broken up. Both men, I think, were suffering a bit from dementia at that point. And um, it was an unfortunate incident, uh, but basically that, you know, by the time I got outside, everyone got outside, it, 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 you know, the media turned it into, it was a big, you know, gun brawl. And it wasn't, it was a two second thing between two fighters who had had their day. And uh, Basilio sometimes made quips like that. He wasn't, you know, he'd be walking somewhere. So when your mind is concentrated on that, when you're very old, and someone grabs you and says, hey, sometimes, I'm not saying uh, Emil did nothing wrong, but obviously he did nothing wrong, but it was just an unfortunate incident. Um, I've watched her fight many times. And unlike some fights today where you're watching, uh, you know, on uh, pay-per-view or streaming it most likely, and you're watching fights and you're going, oh, come on, I'm going to fall asleep. This was an exciting fight from the first round to the last round. Because the, the fight was always in question. Basilio coming forward inexorably like water going over a mountain. And Robinson doing what he did best, fighting while moving back. And sometimes Robinson often would stand his ground and fire five, six, seven, eight punch combinations. But the speed that he had in the late 40s, early 50s was gone. He was still very quick, quicker than anyone else. But Basilio was able to see them coming and he... And and get out of the way of them, you know, duck the shot, slip with them, slip them, slide with them. But Basilio also at times would get caught with three, four, five punch combinations, but his knees never buckled. He was never in danger of going down. He was never hurt. There were times to stop the punishment where Robinson would do that four or five shots in a row and, and Basilio, the smaller man, could hold him and really hold him, hold him in place. So... Robinson, as the fight went on, got more and more tired. And, you know, he doesn't want to lose the title. This is the key. If he's got the title, he's got something to make money with. And he keeps trying to hang on to him and hang on to him. And Basilio was just so great at, you know, sliding out of his arms. And he kept hammering him to the body. Angela kept saying, pound that liver. Pound that liver. Take his legs away. Keep going after that liver. Keep throwing that shot to the body. And, and he did over and over, and then mix it up. And that was one of the things that Angelo would teach his fighters. You know, he would say to him, jab, 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 double jab, double jab, double jab. You do that often enough in the first two, three, four rounds. And then in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round, you throw a jab, you pretend to double it up, but you turn it into a hook. Or you throw a hook with the other hand, and the guy doesn't see it coming. And that's one way of hiding the hook. And Basilio was a master at that. Um, it's funny, Robinson lost all his money from the fight because of taxes. Basilio kept his. When Basilio died, he had money. He wasn't extremely rich, but he had different pensions, you know, from the army, from from Genesee Brewery, from when he worked for a sausage factory, and from a lot of appearances. When Robinson, Robinson had a lot of financial difficulties. He had divorces, and uh, he hadn't paid taxes. His friends and family had ripped him off. And so he was saved financially by a good friend of Angelo Dundee's named Melvin Dick. Mel Dick was the, or he is the largest, sec, I think second or third largest 
uh, owner or purveyor of uh, alcohol and spirits in the southern United States. And because he knew Ray Robinson as a, when he was a kid and he loved him, he supported him financially and paid his bills, made sure he was healthy, made sure he had a good place to live and he got a place to, you know, he got good food each night. Uh, Mel Dick tells the wonderful story how when uh, he was young, he would come to uh, Stillman's gym and he'd come every day for two weeks and he ignored everyone except Robinson. He would just stand there for hours and watch Robinson work out. And finally, Robinson says to this young Jewish kid, what are you doing? Why are you here? He said, I'm here because you're my hero and I love you. And Robinson, you know, was really taken aback by that. He was really, uh, you know, he found it very, very uh, kind thing and sweet thing for a young kid to say. So Ray Robinson became this 12, 13-year-old kid's friend. And Robinson went to, I think I mentioned this once before, Melvin Dick's uh, bar mitzvah. He drove him there in his pink Cadillac. And he mixed with all of his friends. Like he said, Ray Robinson's coming. And his friends went, yeah, right. And Ray Robinson came. And the funny thing was, when they got back to Stillman's gym after, Melvin Dick's still wearing his suit. So, so Ray Robinson says, hey, go tell my best friend, Joe Lewis, that you just had your bar mitzvah. So they can't find Joe. And he's looking all around the gym. And someone said, yeah, Joe just finished working out. He's in the shower. So he actually, he's there with his friends. <laughs> And he opens the shower curtain, and there's Joe Lewis naked showering. Hey, Joe, I just said my bar mitzvah. And Joe's like covering himself up. Hey, good for you, kid. That's fantastic. So uh, he became great friends with uh, Angelo Dundee because Angelo was working at Stillman's Den with his fighters and introduced him uh, to Ray Robinson and, and other guys. And, you know, when he would go out on the dates, Ray let him use his pink Cadillac. So... Uh, as I said, it was Mel Dick who looked after the welfare when he got older, and he was glad to do it because he just adored Ray Robinson. Ray Ray appeared on different shows, as uh, you know, on uh, different networks, game shows, and um, newlywed game and stuff like that. So it, it was it was you know he appeared on TV, uh, he appeared in movies, and uh, all sorts of stuff like that, and didn't make much money from it. But you could see on the game shows and later in his life how his dementia was affecting him. And it was sad because here was a guy, the best fighter pound for pound, who, who you thought he never really got hit that often, right? He never really took a beating, but he did. He had almost 200 fights. And as he got older, he got tagged more often. So when you're fighting a guy like Gene Fulmer, when you're fighting a Basilio, when he fought Tommy Bell, when he fought Kid Gavilan, who tagged him a lot, the great Jewish fighter, Georgie Freedom Abrams, lost by like a point, half a point. That was Chris Dundee's main fighter, and that was Angelo's brother, Chris Dundee. And they thought that the mob, I don't know for a fact, it was rumored that the mob shaded the fight for Robinson because Abrams lost by like a point or half a point. But Robinson was taking a steady beating in all these fights. Even though he was superior in talent, he still would get hit and hurt. Robinson had the unfortunate um, fight, um, experience of uh, killing an opponent. The guy's name was Jimmy Doyle in Cleveland. Doyle should not have been allowed to be there. This is, I think, 47. Doyle had been knocked out two weeks before in L.A. Robinson went to the boxing commission in Ohio and said, I've had these dreams and, and premonitions that I killed Jimmy Doyle, so I don't want to fight him tomorrow. If you don't fight him, 
then you don't get paid. Your license will be suspended. And the New York State Athletic Commission and all the other athletic commissions in the country will follow suit and suspend your license. You'll be out of a job. And so he fought him, knocked him out, and the guy died. And he never really emotionally got over that. Robinson didn't particularly dislike anyone he fought. And he was so, his level was so good. You know, he fought a guy like Fritzy Zivic, who dominated guys through tremendous, tremendous use of foul tactics. Didn't bother Robinson. Robinson was too quick, too young, and punched too hard. He also beat an old Henry Armstrong, his hero. So Robinson had victories over Basilio and Fulmer and Randy Turpin, who beat him in England, and then he came back and beat him in a rematch 69 days later. So Robinson was an amazing fighter. When the chips were down and he had it in him and he had trained well in Pompton Lakes, the same training camp that Joe Lewis trained at, he, he was a sight to behold. He could do things in the ring that had never been seen before. Triple left hooks, just incredible. The way he could, you know, fight a man and anticipate what the other guy was going to do before the other guy himself knew what he was going to do. And basically, Muhammad Ali was a heavyweight Sugar Ray Robinson. Robinson was Ali's guy. He, he Ali loved Sugar Ray Robinson, which is why you see him with Ali when Ali beats Liston the first time. This was his guy. And, you know, at a, a night honoring him years later, honoring Ray Robinson, Ali said, my whole life as a kid, you know, when I was very young, I wanted to be this man, Sugar Ray Robinson. Not just how brilliantly he moved in the ring, but how classy he was outside the ring. Always had his hair done. Always had an expensive suit and a gorgeous tie, gorgeous shirt on, you know, French cufflings, gold rings. He had his entourage, his pink Cadillac, his hairdresser went with him to Europe. He had uh, a man, uh, a little man, uh, um, uh, I guess he was 4'8 or 4'9, who traveled with him, and he would take his whole entourage. So if he went to Europe, he would 30 suitcases and all these guys. It was a complete waste of money, but he lived it up and traveled in style. And when you saw that pink Cadillac in Harlem in front of his restaurant, Sugar Ray's, you knew Sugar Ray was in town. People would line up 10, 15, 20 hours to meet him. It's just unfortunate when Basilio went to meet him and was excited to meet him because he was about to fight him. He hadn't met him before that Robinson, I don't know if he was trying to psych him out or whatever, was so rude to him that he took Basilio's motivation level and he put it to Mach 10. So Angelo told me that Basilio was chomping at the bit every day in training. I can't wait. I can't wait. Can't we fight him today? Can't we go today? I'll fight him today. I'll fight him right now. Get him on the phone. We'll fight him right now. Let's go somewhere and fight him right now. And he had to temper down uh, Basilio's, you know, Eagerness. This is why before the fight, he was saying, just stay within yourself. Don't go all out. You know, you have to control your anger. Boxing is the sport of controlled fight, fighting, um, uh, controlled aggression. And fighters that are angry, this is why Muhammad Ali would psychologically attack these fighters. Fighters that are angry don't fight well. So, yes, Artie Levine, great New York Jewish fighter, scrapbook says, um, was the one who gave Jimmy Doyle a concussion the bout before. And that bout, that bout, that bout should have been stopped uh, uh, between him and Robinson. But uh, at that time, they didn't have the commissions look as closely as they do today. It's one of the things that happened in boxing. And both men were proof that you don't get out of it unscathed. But the amazing thing is, to me, 
that we're talking September now, 11th, uh, 2022. This fight took place 1957. So 43, uh, 65 years ago, and we're still talking about it. It's still a great fight to watch. It's not like a fight from the 1900s where the tapes are hazy. You can still turn this fight on, and you can see, you can see the incredible willpower of Carmen Basilio, and combined with his technical skill and his strength and his drive and courage to not only withstand Ray Robinson's blows, to not only slip them, but to keep coming forward like he's walking through a minefield. It's almost as if he's saying, "I will not be denied." I am going to beat you into the ground with these two fists. And he did. He kept coming forward. He kept throwing those tremendous body shots, bringing it up to the head after. He hit him on the elbows, hit him on the arms. He hit him in the hips, hit him in the collarbone. He hit him everywhere. He was just trying to destroy him completely and utterly. And he did. And at the end of the fight, you can see Basilio bending down on one knee and giving thanks to God. Uh, Split decision. Yankee Stadium went crazy. Basilio was on top of the world. Robinson looked old as the fight wore on. And in the rematch, you know, people thought, well, can Robinson do it? Can he come back? I mean, to win the title four times was incredible. But to win it five times, that was unheard of. It hadn't happened in any weight division. No one thought it would happen here. It wasn't possible. But six months later, in a close fight, and one of the problems was because he got hit in the eyeball early in the first or second round, Basilio's left eye swelled up, as I said, like a grapefruit. So it looked like he was worse off than he was. And so people watching the fight, and I'm sure the judges thought, well, he's getting killed. He's not getting killed. The punch stats are relatively even, you know, and one judge actually had him ahead, had him winning the fight. I thought he won the fight, but because of the way he looked, and you got to give Robinson credit, who did a great job that night. Robinson won the title back. And... You know, that winning the title from Ray Robinson in 1957 was the high point of Carmen Basilio's career. And he was an incredible man. He, he held the undisputed world welterweight title and he held the undisputed world middleweight title. And so did Sugar Ray Robinson. And both ended up in the Hall of Fame. Robinson almost held, as I discussed a couple of weeks ago, almost held the undisputed world light heavyweight title, but it didn't work out that way. He lost. But... This is one of the all-time great fights. It's readily available on YouTube. Uh, I think HBO has a great documentary, as I mentioned, on him. There's also a good short 20-minute documentary on, on the Internet you can find about Carmen Basilio and the mob, how they tried to influence him and how he stood up to them. In fact, in front of the Kefauver Committee in 1960 and their Senate investigation investigating organized crime, which still exists, that committee, by the way. It's a standing committee organized crime into boxing, Basilio got up and testified openly in court against Frankie Carvo and Blinky Palermo and dozens of other mob killers. He had no fear. You know, as he said, they're cowards, they're scumbags, they're leeches. You know, they steal fighters' money, and then when the fighter can't fight, they just throw them to the wolves. And he said, I would not allow them to do that to me. They didn't do that to me. They'll never do that to me. And I don't know of another fighter. I mean, Lamont has stood up to them, but I don't know of another fighter who stood up to them in the way Carmen Basilio did. This man was utterly fearless. You had that look in his face, you know, when it came to the mob that if you come after me, I will come after you and I will win. 
And it's the same look he had on Ray Robinson. And Robinson made that unfortunate comment to him in the parking lot. You're going to say that to me? You know what? You're going to have to back that up because now you have to fight me. Now you're going to be in the ring and you're going to pay every second you're in there in pain and blood for the way you spoke to me and to my wife. And he did. Basilio always kept his promise. I urge you to go to YouTube and watch this fight. You will love this fight. You will never get tired of watching it. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's session. I, I just want to say um, thank you to Scrapbook Boxing. Um, well, I'm honored to have had you, Scrapbook Boxing, here to listen. Please come back next week and tell your friends. Um, I'm Lou Eisen. And by the way, Scrapbook, I have a, a book coming out soon called Boxing's Greatest Controversies. Uh, um, and it should be out hopefully within a couple months. I know I've been saying this for a while, but I'm closer than I realized to finishing the editing. I'm just waiting for one chapter to my editor to finish that. And, uh, and that should be out soon. I want to thank all you fans of boxing. Keep doing what scrapbook boxing is doing. You will enjoy the sport of boxing more. You will enjoy fights you see today. If you know the glorious history of the world's greatest sport, prize fighting. So go back and look at Sugar Ray Robinson. Go back and look at Carmen Basilio. Go back and look at Henry Armstrong. Watch these guys and let them take your breath away. There's a reason there's a Hall of Fame. There's many boxing Halls of Fame, but there's a reason because these men are tremendous warriors and they deserve to be remembered because these weren't only sports achievements. These were social achievements and, and, and cultural achievements that stand the test of time. My name is Lou Eisen. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for watching Ring Talk. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see you back here again in one week's time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be safe. Be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.